now. Yep. What's up, man? Uh, y'all know what it is. We back with another episode of No Mask Mask Podcast. It's your boy Keem, and we have a special guest with us here today. Uh, I'm super excited for for everyone to to hear this young person, their story. Uh, I've gotten a chance to uh, know a little bit about them and their background. And I really felt as though their truth uh, can be another inspirational story on this podcast. So we're gonna go ahead and uh, rock out with them and a lot of them had this platform um, to get free, right? Uh, And so, with no further ado, let's jump right into it. Um, I want to say thank you for for joining this podcast, and I want to say thank you for, you know, agreeing to be vulnerable with us today. Uh, I know that it, it's be, like the term vulnerability and and the misperception behind it uh, in in bipoc in bipoc communities, uh, especially especially around black men and men of color uh, tend to to be way, way uh, misperceived um, and, and and not totally embraced. And so for you to agree to, to be vulnerable with us uh, in this way, uh, we definitely appreciate you. And, and I, I, I would love for our viewers just to get, you know, a small picture of you know, who you are, right? And so can you share with us, can you share with us uh, maybe one or two hobbies that you really like to do, um, where you see yourself in five years? Um, and let's add one more question because I asked that question last last podcast too. So one or two hobbies that you really like to do and actually share share with us Share with us uh, if if you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? All right, all right. Hello, world. Uh, two of my uh, favorite hobbies is uh, reading and watching movies. Uh, I love experiencing stories. I love storytelling. So those have always, always been really integral to who I am as a person. And if I could live anywhere, it would either be New York City or Tokyo. I don't know. I just like, I like big cities that sort of make you sort of feel small. I think it's sort of, you know, it, it really builds out your character. And I, I look for those experiences. Mm. New York City or Tokyo. Wow. Wow, wow. I've never been to Tokyo, but from, from what I've seen, via social media from friends who have been there. It looks extremely dope, like dope as hell. Um, and I hope to go one day. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely huh? high up on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the culture, you know, like like tech-wise, tech uh, you know, Tokyo is advanced and, and, and I, and again, just from videos I've seen of how they go about, you know, uh, you 
using lights to to light up the city and where they placed it and just the structure of it all is just is just really really capturing but so let me start by asking this question and i, I think it'll be a question that that we'll probably always ask our guests because everybody will have a different answer but why do you think it's important for youth to have a platform to share their story uh i think it's incredibly important and i think and I, I would say it's because youth have a lot more stake than uh, adults may realize sometimes. I'm, I'm in scenarios where I'm, you know, speaking to the experiences of young people and the experiences of uh, EIPOCs. So, so I find a lot of times that my perspective is one that's spoken for very often, but not one that is spoken, spoken to. And so I, I feel like it's, it's essential that we give young people a platform to speak on their experiences, not only to prepare them uh, for the world ahead, but to create a world that is worth moving ahead. You know? mm. Mm. Uh, and, and, and so you, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of work or, or you're involved in, in work as it pertains to using your voice. Uh, again, I'm not gonna ask too much of the specifics, but that work that we have learned, that we have found out uh, about you and, and, and how much time and energy and effort you're putting into that work, that takes a lot of energy. Uh, and that kind of advocacy work, right? That kind of ground roots, grassroots work uh, can can take a toll on right like your health and so we're going to dive into what that looks like for you and you know how 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 you're going about taking care of yourself and uh, where you found it to be really challenging to take care of yourself and so with that being said uh, you know I'm really interested in uh, being a young person today, right? Can you speak to how hard is it to be a young person today? I know that, you know, throughout all of history, it's always really difficult to be at this sort of cumulative age, you know, growing into adulthood and figuring out, you know, who you are. But I feel like our generation, Generation Z, we're, we're encountering growing up in a very different climate than people have been accustomed to. Like with the advent of the internet and social media, it's, it's suffocating sometimes because we've, we've been so used to having constant information, constant uh, activation. It, it's, it's really stressful at times and it, it causes you to never really feel like you're doing enough. Mm. And and I think that that's, that's a problem that our generation is going to be the first to really figure out because we have, we have evolved as this technology, we've evolved in this climate. So there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of resources, there's not a lot of guidance on how to navigate. Yeah, on how to navigate that. Uh, and, and, and as you 
as you try to navigate that, right? Like, what 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 challenges have you experienced personally that that impacts you know you doing this work in a very efficient and effective way? Does it impact your health at all? Uh. In all honesty, I think it impacts my health more than I would like to admit. Uh, I, I, I touched on it a little earlier, but knowing when is enough is really difficult because there's always someone doing more. And I think more than ever, we've been able to see people who are doing more. We've been able to compare ourselves and in, in ways degrade ourselves. And so, you know, there's always there's always this nagging thought in the back of my head like you're not doing enough you're not doing enough and it gets to a point sometimes where i have to let go of some of my hobbies i have to let go of some of me time to focus on work and still there's there's more things to be done there's i could be a better activist how i could be a better artist how i can be a better brother how i could be a better son and it's 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 a lot it's a lot to take in and i feel like I feel like I wish that there was some sort of game plan or some sort of play on how to manage your time and not feel like you're still not enough. Mm, so are you, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but are you saying that you've never been taught how to take care of yourself mentally and emotionally? Uh, I definitely, I, I, I've been privileged enough to to have conversations about my own mental health and to have conversations on what to do. And I have the tools, but I think, I think implementing them is a different fight. In some ways, I think it's, it's hard once you know what to do, because then you know where you're messing up. You know where like, oh, you should, you should take this time, you should do this. So for me, it's less of not having the tools, but more of not having the the, the process of being able to step back. Like that part, I feel like is something that I have to, like my generation and maybe me specifically, I have to learn to, to do. But I'm lucky enough to at least have the tools to know what to do when it happens. It's kind of confusing. So as, that's, as, as you are going through that process and, and, and you're finding it to be a challenge to step back, like how how does that impact your health? Does it impact your health? And in, and in what way? Does yeah. it stress? Does it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, mental health, it, it's a big impact. Uh, I sometimes can't even focus on a given task because there's always, there's like, I always feel like I could be more effective or there's, I have to then worry about what I'm going to do after it. So being present in the moment uh, is something that's really difficult. And that brings a lot of anxiety because instead of just being able to be like, okay, here's what I have to do later today. I'm then now thinking, okay, what do I have to do next week, next month, next year? And it, 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 it becomes a daunting like wall of just, of just pressure, pressure that is mostly self-imposed. And that, that really just, that really does take a toll. And I think it then begins to sometimes bleed out into my physical health because, you know, I'm not sleeping as well. I'm not able to go work out some days. Like, 
like these these other parts of me then become to begin to slip and like i don't i honestly have like a trouble taking time purely for myself like to just read or just play a video game or do things that are expected of people my age like it's it's it becomes to a point where like i just get in cycles of just get it done get it done get it done and then i don't end up getting anything i need done mm. it's definitely a ripple effect right like like there's this old old corny uh saying that so that was supposed to help you like understand like your body when i was growing up and it used to be like your like your hip bone connected to your something bone something something connected to your elbow bone um excuse the words i had i don't even i don't remember it but it was something along those lines so all all my old heads may may remember that tune but um like i think like in the back of my head i kind of do i oh, do okay. i do i do get it <laughs> got you got you well well that it's it's this it's this ripple effect and how it's all connected right like if you are experiencing a high level of of um mental stress right that then impacts and plays a role on how you feel emotionally and once it starts to impact the emotional side of things right your 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 emotions is also a part of what pushes you to do the thing that you want to do right when you are excited when you are motivated when when those when those high uh positive emotions are like at their best you are pushed you are forced to act right uh and then you go about doing those things in a very joyous way but if your emotions aren't as high and if they're more sad you know um defeated things of that nature then that impacts your physical health because now instead of being more active you become less active and so i can see how that has has been a ripple effect or a trickle down effect right and how and what you just shared it makes sense to me and i'm 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 wondering about i'm wondering how you know the young people who are listening to this can can say to themselves wow like i know exactly what this guy is talking about because i felt that before or like wow i didn't realize that one impacts the other that impacts the other that actually you know um is the reason why i've re i've reacted this way or or i've responded this way so definitely hearing how it has played a role in that ripple effect doesn't surprise me um you mentioned and and, and so if i could just go go deeper with you right uh during these times of of having your mental health your emotional and your physical health be stagnant or come to a halt or you know show levels of decline because of 
what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it, uh, are you, have you referred to the phrase or the line, I'm good, when people have asked you, how are you doing? During the midst of like, not actually feeling good, have you ever responded that way? Constantly. Uh, I think constantly. that constantly, yeah, yeah. I feel that like in our culture, like it, I'd say that in American culture, that phrase has lost a lot of its power, a lot of its meaning. And mm. so for for me, when I hear that, I also assume like I like no one, I feel like no one's ever okay, right? I feel like people are good, they're bad, or they don't want to talk about it and they say it's okay. I feel like I've had really like groundbreaking conversations when someone just asked, oh, but like, are you good for real? Or like, like, nah, like, let's take a second. Like, how are you really feeling? Like that second follow-up question I feel like is so important, but in the sort of culture that we have nowadays, it's, it's, it's super monopolized. It's super, I need to do as much as quickly as possible. I don't have time to sit down and talk. Mm. And so I think that we don't value that sort of communication, at least so far in my experience, I haven't seen a lot of people who value that communication who would say that. Because I feel like, are you okay is just, is just a blanket term for everyone. You know, I don't feel like people, I feel like it's gone to a point now that people would understand that no one's ever really just okay. How did you become so comfortable saying it yourself? I, I, I got really comfortable with it because I realized that a lot of times that like, although I love to like engage and I love to like have these conversations with people and really get to know people, uh, I realized that a lot of times what people are trying to express to you when they're asking, oh, how are you? Or or they're trying to get to like understand how you're doing in that moment. It's less of like an, I'm curious on how you're actually feeling and more of just acknowledging your presence. And so like that question to me, like, like the response doesn't really matter as much. Mm. And so when I, when I'm comfortable enough with somebody to then be like, no, like I'm actually doing like pretty bad or I'm actually doing really good that that is a that is a connection that has already been formed but a lot of times when a question's asked it's not really in the presence of getting to dig deep and figure how you feel i think it's more of the times just being like oh like it's nice to see you and it's just been easier for me to say i'm i'm okay i'm good i'm good than really break down how i feel because i'm not really sure if the person that i'm breaking down to really would feel connected to what I have to say. You, mm, that's powerful. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you a little bit. Like, I know you're still young, but are you able to, to process, to think about, right? When did you, like, when did this happen for you? Right, like I want our folks to try to understand, right? as as young as you are 
you have become accustomed to saying I'm good in response to a question that is actually supposed to get an honest answer out of you. But we have, you have become, and many, many people have become so, so comfortable with going directly to that response, right? You're, I, I know you're still young, but I'm just curious as, are you aware of, of when you actually just like started saying I'm good and for what reason, right? Like, I think how you just explained that right now speaks to your level of maturity and growth through the process of understanding that kind of conversation. But are you familiar with, are you aware of like when, when you started to use that, that comment that I'm good because it was easier to say? Yeah. Uh, I'd say my indoctrination began in middle school. I think that was the first time where I, I was able to express how I was feeling because I, I definitely knew I felt these sort of feelings before I knew how to put words to them, right? I, I just assumed that this was something wrong with me. And so when I was able to express myself, uh, most of the time, like, I, that, that, that vulnerability wasn't expressed back. And I think that that's something I'm still currently trying to undo in my own self, where I, I think part of me was genuinely ready to have a thoughtful conversation. I think that that part is really in all of us. I think that, I think people are less afraid to be open uh, than they sometimes believe, but it's, it's, it's difficult because you're bound to fail sometime. You're bound to really express yourself and not have that recuperated or recuperate. I think recuperate was the right word, <laughs> but I so, feel like, yeah, uh, I feel that for me, experiencing moments where I ex opened up and I didn't really get acknowledged or seen mm. really made me not, not want to continue trying for a while because it became less of a thing where I was like angry or like, oh, I felt like betrayed by the person who didn't really want to have the conversation. I then assumed it was me, that I was being too open, that I was playing this game wrong and that I needed to play it differently. And so then I think I really started to get used to the game everyone else was playing. Wow. Wow. You're saying, you're saying that you believe that this was just a part of the game, game meaning life, that this, that this, that this was just how life is, life was? Yeah, like, because I kind of see like those sort of conversations like a game. It's like, it's like you're street fighters. You're pressing the same buttons over and over again to get the same thing out of it. Like, very rarely do you have a conversation where it starts off as, how are you? And it ends in something really thought provoking and really impactful. Like it, it, it does sometimes feel like I'm just pressing the right button, saying the right things to make the conversation move as fast as it needs to do. So you're telling me in middle school, 
middle school, right? By, by the time that you're like, by the time that, what, middle school year, you're, you're, I mean, well, middle school years can be anywhere from, well, I grew up where middle school was eighth grade, seventh grade. Um, some people will refer to it as sixth grade. So by sixth grade, you're like 11. And so you're like 10, 11. So you're telling me by the age of 10 or 11, you, you, you already started to feel unseen or not seen. You already started to feel as if that you, as if you weren't getting acknowledged right by the age of 10 or 11, you were already shutting down. By the age hmm. 10, 11, you, you already started to wear the mask. Hmm. I, in all honesty, I think I began much younger. I think it began like in just school because, you know, when, when you spend the first five years of existence, you're around family, you're around people who already accept you at the base level. And even in, you know, elementary school, you then are coming up with different ideas, different, different theses that take body in people. I, I feel like for me, I, I held on a lot harder than most people did. And I think it was a conscious thing looking back, but like, I feel like middle school, like, cause middle school for me actually started fifth grade. So that process cemented itself then but i feel like the process of not really feeling seen started a lot younger hmm. can i can we go there with you can we right uh you know this podcast is about mm -hmm. sharing sharing your story and being authentic being vulnerable being real being honest being truthful like hearing that that you had already put the mask on actually prior to fifth grade because you were not feeling seen. Can you talk more about that? Not, not, not feeling seen in your household? Like, yeah, I, I can, I could definitely speak on that. Uh, if to use, to use the mask analogy, I would say that up until middle school, I felt like I was wearing the wrong mask. It felt like everyone else was walking around with, the correct mask, the mask you're wearing in that moment. And for me, I never felt like I could really synthesize with my environment. I always felt like I was built of contradictions and I, and that no one would really understand. So for me, I was just wearing a makeshift mask for the moment. And I didn't really feel seen anywhere. I didn't really feel like anyone had my perspective. It may be because of you know, not seeing many people of color that look like me uh, in my environment. Maybe it's because of, you know, taking different interests, finding different hobbies than people my age did. I, I, I constantly felt like, like I need to figure out how to make myself look, act, be different before I could be seen. And I think to, to be completely honest, I, I hadn't really hit that chord until like maybe four years ago. So for me, I feel like 
I feel like I was really struggling to figure out my own self because I was too busy trying to figure out how I looked to everyone else. Mm. So it sounds like there was mask, right? Did you put this mask of identity on? Um, mm -hmm. And it also sounds like there was a mask of in, in, insecurity. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I definitely still have that one. <laughs> mm. Speak to so and, and I just want to make sure that, that that we understand this correctly. Are you just saying that the insecurities were developed because of you not understanding at the I mean you were still young too, right? Hold up, like before we go any further, like let's let's also take into account right that that you were still like a baby you know um like like you were still so young and so a lot of young people before middle school actually i can't say a lot of young people before middle school but there are folks before middle school prior to getting to fifth sixth grade who are consciously aware right of 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 what's going on no actually yes a lot of folks a lot of young people mm -hmm. around that time are actually consciously aware of what's going on what's what's going on around them what's being said right um people and their actions and, and how actions are, are are teaching us what to do and what to say and what not to say and what not to do and and so you you were at that age where you were experiencing, you know, um, identity growth and, and trying to figure that out. But it, it also sounds like within the process of like doing that, you, you became insecure, um, which is a normal thing. I'm curious as to is is the not being seen specifically or strictly to your external environment or because i know that you mentioned something earlier about the household were there moments growing up in your household where you felt that way hmm. uh yeah uh, definitely because for me like my my genealogy is sort of confusing. So I was a black boy raised by no black people. Like my mom's light skin, my entire extended family's light skin. I never really connected with a side of my family that looked like me. So part of me never really realized that I was different, which I'm, I'm thankful for, but also like, I feel like at my core, I, I felt like I was missing another half of myself. And like, I, like I still need to figure out my, my, my own self, even though I was walking around like I, like I was whole. And, and in sort of that, that perspective, I don't think I was really given until very recently. And now looking back on it, I can, I can say that like unconsciously, I kind of felt that that no one that I knew that really cared about me understood my perspective. And I can, I can speak to the experience, well, I can speak on experiences that I've heard from the young 
children I work with because they're in that age range. Uh, that feeling, that feeling, I feel is universal, and I think that uh, we, as people who have made it past elementary school, made it past middle school, it's easy to just push that aside as lesser. But I feel like I feel like a lot of these these ideas of ourselves of not being enough, not feeling seen start at that incredibly young age and only in going back and really being critical about your roots and your foundation can you really begin to attack these things head on mm. did that hurt you at all growing up in a household where you know family is family you know there's different ways that people want to define family and what that feels like and looks like but like if you think about it, we're not. I mean, well, yeah. Trying to see, see, let's see if if your perspective, right? And so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm asking this question, and your your perspective of it now may be different because again, you're older, you've like thought through this. But I'm curious, when you were younger, going through that, going through that in your household, did that hurt you at all? uh feeling like you you weren't being acknowledged or or, or that you weren't being seen hmm. I, I i find that question to be kind of uh difficult for me because part of the thing that i realized is that i never even suspected anything was off mm. you know like like there's a lot of things that now with my perspective and now with with the education i've been afforded I'm able to look back and be like, wow, that was just like, sometimes just, that was just straight racist, you know, <laughs> like there's some things that happen. And I'm like, like, I like, hmm. It's, it's difficult because it's the idea of family that, that, that it gets really tricky because, you know, blood is supposed to be something that really, really connects. But like, I never really, I, I never really considered how my blood was different than anyone else's. And so, hearing these things about people who look like me or hearing these things about what I'm supposed to be as a black man. Mm -hmm. Like I never assumed that anything was wrong with them. I, I took them, I took their word as bond. And so, so and honestly, no, it, it didn't really, like I felt something was missing, but it wasn't something that I was like in pain of. It was more like, yeah. Oh, it, it, it felt, it felt more empty than it felt, then it felt painful. Like I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to react yet. And that's that's a really, really impactful thing that happened to a child. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then like you like you did mention earlier, right? By the time that fifth grade came, it was it was like for you, this was just a part of the game, right? As you as you said, it was a part of life. This is how we respond to these feelings, right? Because these are feelings that you ultimately were suffocating that you were keeping to yourself and through society through the the environment that you were growing growing up in sound sounds like it taught like this is what taught you how to wear the mask why to wear the mask yeah I think it also added to my confusion of which mask to put on because like 
like I, I didn't know enough about myself, nor did I really have people who were really interested in learning about myself. I never, I never really figured out where do I fit in the picture. And so I kind of always felt like I was outside of it, that I had to earn my ticket in, in a lot of ways. Mm. And so, so for me, it, it was something that became really difficult in those years to sort of not only figure out my spot, but this little part of me that was saying, maybe you don't deserve a spot at all. Maybe you don't deserve to be at the table. Maybe you don't deserve to be heard. And, and I, I think I still struggle with that to this day. Mm. Wow. That's, that's even powerful for you to even admit now. So again, I want to, I want to be very intentional and very mindful in acknowledging right how truthful how honest how vulnerable you're being on this podcast with us and and, and say thank you for that thank um, you. not 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 shifting gears too much right but you mentioned being a black man a man of color um how, how with with everything that has gone on over the last couple months, right? COVID, racial injustice that has been going on since we landed in this, since we, you know, were brought to this country. Uh, there were levels of high, high levels of anxiety and stress and depression increased, levels of suicide increased among youth. Um, can you speak to, you know, what feelings if you felt any stress, or if you felt any depression or anxiety, or or just what were some of your feelings and thoughts as as all of this started to boil up and eventually boiled over? Mm. Seeing black death, not only on TVs but on social media. Yeah, uh, I feel like I feel like it's like it really started with. Ahmad Aubrey, like I think in that was March, yeah, that feels like forever ago, but um I feel like that was the first time where I'd experienced something so heinous and so blatantly like horrifying in a real sense like it's 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 scary to imagine that this country isn't my land like this this country is like a place that i have to be careful where i am and you know who i associate with because because especially now hitting the age of 17 like there's this uh there's this real fear of myself that that i'm in the target now like the the iron sights are on and i slip up i'm just tall enough i'm just built enough i'm just enough that if i do not do my dance correctly. If I don't play the game exactly what's supposed to be played, I will also end up as a hashtag. And and so that was really really suffocating. Mm-hmm. But I think the part afterwards is mm-hmm. even more even more dreadful, uh, which is having conversations about it because. Mm. You know, we see these, we see these things, right? And then we're supposed to just go back to work, you know? 
we're supposed to just keep keep filing whatever we need to file at our jobs. We need to keep cooking for our families and having asking how is their day. Like these things, we just have to go about our day like it's like these are normal. And it makes me feel like like angry sometimes because like this, like the the topics, the conversations we're having about police brutality and the oppression of people of color in this country should not be things that we just walk away from. And I feel like like this year, especially having to step back and really focus on my identity, I feel like <laughs> so angry because the fact that these are political questions, the fact that these these are things that have to be argued about, it's it's really stressful. And especially since, you know, talking about family, talking about blood, like I've had to have these discussions with people who aren't supposed to be connected to me. And and I feel very often that I feel completely alienated from my blood, from my family sometimes, because our perspectives are so different. And it, it gets to a point where like, I'm reminded very starkly that I have that one thing about me that's different. I remember a conversation I was having with a family member of mine and they were talking about, you know, they're talking about us, people of color, and he and my family member, he said, your people are lazy. Like not to give further context because, you know, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. it's still really difficult to think about, but but that your people. This is blood. This is someone who's supposed to see me as blood. This is someone I'm supposed to look up to. And, and I was just reminded in that moment that, I, that I'm not. And to this, like, it, it, it's, it's a really daunting thing. And I don't think, and again, I say it often, but I wish there's some sort of play for this, some sort of, here's what you're supposed to say to, to still feel like, you're a part of the same country, part mm. of the same world. Yeah, man. I, I, I just wanted that to resonate some more, man. I just wanted, I just wanted that to sit some more because, um, again, you know, now we're talking about youth, youth voice and in a way where things are happening right now and, and young people have a lot of thoughts around what's happening right now, right? But yet are struggling with how to process those thoughts. And even when they find the words to match the feelings, to be able to express what they want to say, who's there to provide space and, and access and opportunity for them to let it out and for them to share it. It's a challenge. Yeah, and, and I also feel like not only creating the space, but the space that is authentic because especially working in the field of like, youth activism, a lot of times I feel like we're just there to be tokenized, you know? We're supposed to 
have these conversations and look good in front of people, you know, instead of really being able to dig deep and express the pain and the trauma that usually comes with these conversations. And, you know, it's really frustrating because it's, it's, I think it goes back to that. How are you question? It's like, Mm. I feel a lot of times people are like, a part of them is like, no, I want to sit down. I want to tell you exactly how I'm feeling. But knowing that that's not why the other person asked that question changes completely the answer. Fundamentally, the answer is completely different. And I think that it's important to create spaces where youth aren't just heard, that they're felt, that they're acknowledged. Yeah. Let's actually roll. Let's 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 add on to that, right? Like being a young person yourself. If there were adults listening to this, educators listening to this, administrators working at schools listening to this, officials who make decisions about school structures listening to this, government officials listening to this, what would you share with them? How 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 do you believe? right? They can go about creating those spaces. What does that space look like? That's the golden question. Uh, I mean, still even in rooms where, you know, I'm encouraged to take leadership and, you know, to, to express, we, we are trying to build that. But for me so far, what I really believe is important is is not going down to youth's level. If youth are not already there, because I feel like a lot more times than I can count, youth are already there. If not, empowering them and raising them to your level. I feel like I'm tired of being like talked down to. Like when I'm asking for tools, I'm asking for support, when I'm asking for help, I'm not asking because I couldn't fathom the conversation. It's that I know exactly what I want to do and I need someone with more experience, someone with more foresight to come in and to explain how to do it. And so it's like creating spaces where, where youth are actively empowered and not scrutinized for making mistakes. Because I feel like youth have sometimes a lot bigger of a magnification glass on them like there's times where I slip up and I say like one wrong fact or one I one skewed statistic. And because of that, my entire argument's invalid. Where instead of taking that as a moment to, to step down, a, like adults or people in those sort of regions of power could use that as an opportunity to educate, to, to, to give proper foresight, to, to acknowledge my, even if it's just an attempt, at least acknowledge my attempt. Mm. Because we then grow up to be adults who can express themselves, to the adults who are afraid to, to have tough conversations. And I think the world is a worse place for it. Yeah, that, that's, that is a golden question, but I believe what you shared is is very educational, very informative, 
very powerful. And I hope that we can really, as educators, as, as leaders, you know, folks in those positions, I really hope that we can begin to implement and create these spaces, the spaces that you just mentioned, the spaces that young people around the world are continuing to mention on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Because there's a lot of young people who are, who are standing up, speaking up, speaking out. Uh, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, really quickly before we before we go into ending the podcast is a couple couple thoughts um you know when we talk about mental and emotional health when we talk about health and wellness right when we talk about no mask mask right no more mask removing the mask it's 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 an opportunity for it for an individual to do that self-reflection to look in the mirror to ask themselves the questions that they've been afraid to ask afraid to answer afraid to identify right afraid to acknowledge and to instead of running from it run towards it right as a way of saying this my past is my past but my future is everything that I can make it out to be. My future is everything that I really, you know, have, have, have the chance to make it what it is I want to make it as. And, and in order, I believe, unpopular opinion or not, or is, that in order for us to heal, for us to break the cycle, we have to be able to remove the mask. We have to be able to acknowledge the mask that we are wearing. We have to be able to acknowledge and ask, you know, why is this mask here? Was it me? Was it my mother? Was it my father? Was it my aunt? Was it society? Was it my coach, right? Who, who, who helped me embrace this mask? And that becomes the journey of self-discovery the journey within itself. I love to hear that you uh, are already on your journey. You already started to ask yourself questions that will allow you to be able to run towards healing, towards growth, then from it. And so again, thank you so much for giving us your time your energy, your story, and your experiences. Uh, I love you. I see you. And I hear you.